10 <laughs> recordings. And we are live. Welcome to another episode of Main Unstream. And today I'm joined by my good friend out of the UK, Max Alter. Max, how are you going, mate? Fine. How are you, Paul? Very, very well, my friend. Thank you. And very welcome to the mic. Um, for, for those of you who don't know Max, uh, let me give you a real brief introduction. Um, he's an economist by, uh, you know, by past trade and history. He's also um, a PhD. He has that sort of crazy professor look going on. That's the, that's the, that's the COVID haircut we've been talking about. But he's a, he did yeah. a PhD in the history of economic thought. And he's a published author, published a book back in 1990. And for all of you guys who uh, would like to pick up a copy, good, good news is being republished this year. And it's, the, it's called Karl Menger and the Origins of Austrian Economics. So if you're into economics and you're especially into uh, uh, Austrian economics, as I'm sure we all are, I know I am, um, <laughs> then this is the absolute uh, must-have Bible for you. In any case, Mac, listen, apart from all that, that sort of sounds, may sound a lot very dry, but I promise you any, what Max talks about is anything but dry. Uh, these days, uh, apart from all that stuff, he's uh, very much focused in uh, helping professional services people to get their message across better. So he helps them by creating content that speaks to their clients, uh, specifically through video. And, um, uh, yeah, well, well, yeah, you can look him up on LinkedIn and, and Facebook. His, uh, his, his work speaks for itself. And uh, what else also speaks for itself is the fact that he speaks four languages. I thought I was pretty cool with three. Right? <laughs> but, yeah. Actually, I do have four. We have English. I have English, Dutch, yeah. German, and Strine. What's that? No, that, 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 that got me. Strine <laughs> is what, you know, if you, if you say, a, if, if as an Australian you say Australian, Oh, right. Trying because right. We, everything that's not necessary, we leave out and then we swallow the rest. Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> very good. Right, listen, you and I, we're, we're both part of a, uh, a think tank called Random Dialogues, uh, meet weekly online, people all around the world. And um, last week, uh, well, last time we all got together, this week it was, uh, there were some couple of really interesting topics you covered off, and I thought it might be really cool for the uh, – the viewers and listeners to uh, to main unstream to to get your take and they were both, you're talking about two topics one was about politics and one was about economics where would you yeah. like to start uh, let's let's start with the politics it's slightly more interesting and much well equally relevant but probably more easily accessible what we used to know i mean you probably can take, tell by the style of my haircut and color of beard that uh, i've been around for a while we used to talk about the political is personal and the personal is political. And that was usually talked about in uh, connection with feminism or racism. And um, here in, uh, in the UK, that became very topical for a certain number of people. Um, well, in Europe for 5 million people, namely for the EU citizens living in the UK and for the UK citizens living in Europe with Brexit. So the political suddenly became extremely personal. And worldwide, of course, this year with COVID, um, whether your government um, completely mucked up or got things right or halfway in between, so uh, I have the unfortunate um, 
distinction of living in a country where the government completely screwed up, almost completely screwed up. Yeah, they could right, right at the very beginning with uh, tracking, tracing, testing, and then stopped it. And that was catastrophic as far as I'm concerned, and not just me uh, thinks that. Uh, so the, the 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 political became very very personal. Um, there was a death in the family because of COVID, etc. So that kind of plays on you in the back of your mind. And about a good yeah, beginning of uh, this week. That's right. I attended a little committee meeting of a little group which has nothing to do with politics whatsoever. And a few weeks ago, we had decided to run the program throughout the summer. And one of the two chairpersons then summarized it all and completely of his own bat omitted to run the program, the, the program running from July, August until the end of September. There was nothing. Although we had all agreed that we would run something, we had something. Uh, and for me, that suddenly blew a fuse and I just was about to leave that under protest and I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore, where this whole political mark, the uh, uh, way we are disempowered and we just have to see the nonsense which is being spouted on, 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 on the media by government spokesmen and ministers, plus the, the, the helplessness we have in, as individuals to be able to do much about it. And suddenly, on a very personal level, the same thing, oh, this is the chair of this little committee and uh, not even 10 people on it, and suddenly uh, I've had it, and I just it completely blew me. Uh, so that, I think that's an interesting way of once things come to a crisis, when all of a sudden the personal becomes very, or the political becomes very personal. And then there was something else interesting, which I connect to that. I, I'm quite a, a not fan almost of Trevor Noah. The Sorry. Uh, Trevor Noah is a very well known South African comedian who took over from uh, John Stewart, the Daily Show in New York. And he is the host of The Daily Show, and he is very, very good. And, of course, with lockdown and everything, and uh, he, uh, Trevor Noah describes himself, uh, he's, he was born a crime because his father was Swiss, his mother was uh, African, a, a black African rather than white South African. And at that time under apartheid, a union between these two was illegal. So that had yep. also complications for him, but he has become... Uh, that, that can also contributed to his a very acute perception of what's happening, and the way he um, talks about uh, fundamentally what what's uh, at the root of the uh, big demonstration uh, um, following the the, the murder of uh, uh, George Floyd was uh, the breaking down of the social contract. The people who are supposed to protect us don't protect us, they kill us. So we have to get our own back and we don't feel uh, part of the society anymore and we have to express that. And that's why rioting happened uh, in the areas where they shouldn't riot because they're damaging themselves. But it's 
people suddenly don't feel that the state is looking after them. Well, I mean, uh, it's not sudden, but the 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 outbreak uh, yeah. is very, seems very sudden, but it's been building up and building up and building up. And of course, the political class these days doesn't doesn't help. Um, uh, yeah, let's leave it at. How do you? Yeah, well, good, I guess. How do, how do you see the? Um, I, I agree. Like this, this stuff's been. This stuff just builds up over time. People, the, the dissent and the, the 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 disenfranchisement and all the rest of it. People feel less and less connected to to their government, to their country, and all the rest of it. And then an incident comes along. Um, do you think you know? Forget about all sorts of you know focus focus, but do you think that that incident that one incident is enough to be that straw that broke the camel's back or do you think there were other influences at large which were making that happen you know from from you know from from the perspective of your knowledge of how this shit works it's it, it, it's it's not it's not the one incident what made it uh that incident is to borrow a term is it was it was the tipping point yeah there have been accumulation, accumulation, and now we find out the number of deaths in custody, the number of black arrests or murder. And with social media, of course, we now have the means of finding out. Well, beforehand, if it wasn't reported, we wouldn't find out. Just the neighborhood and the family and friends of these people would know and who would believe them. But now it comes out and we have eyewitness account because basically everyone runs around with a camera all the time. Mm. Uh, so that's the one thing and it builds up, it builds up and it, well we had let's let's shift the topic slightly and go to COVID because um, it's similar, we had this, this build up of frustration because we were all locked down and then here in London uh, or in England, uh, lockdown was uh, alleviated. But what we had also experienced under lockdown was pretty blue skies, clean air, no pollution, and we couldn't buy this stuff, which we normally would buy. So we had time to rethink of rethink our approach to consumerism. Did it work? Well, the lockdown didn't last long enough because if you watch the news the day uh, they opened the shops with distancing and not letting everybody in, there was a crush into the Nike shop to get the trainers. Now, my God, we can't live without the latest pair of Nike trainers. It's just totally absurd. Well, so They do have good marketing, right? Let's be honest. Just do it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but... The point is, where is our autonomy as human beings? Uh, do we have to, they put the marketing out, we go and buy? Or can we as consumers finally begin to use marketing as what it is sold to us? Namely, marketing to us or advertising is sold to us as information. We take the information, we act as we see fit rather than Pavlovian. We get the information we have to. The cues and the behavior and the interviews with the people who went shopping for no reason whatsoever, they just wanted to spend money. I just wonder 
what do you think the COVID uh, uh, um, thing, uh, lockdown and all the clean air and all the emphasis on the environment and we need to change it. Let's open up fully for two or three weeks and everything will be back to normal and then uh, nothing will have changed. That, that's, that's my view. I mean, just on that, right? I, mean, I actually want to jump back to a couple of other things, quite frankly. But um, just on that, you know, we we are constantly being programmed by by the political establishment, by the yeah. media, by yes. you know, society around us. Uh, we make these agreements with each other about what we will and will not do, and then all that needs to happen once you're at that certain that point, all they need to, or someone needs to do is push a button. And the audio track starts to run inside your head, and you go out and buy. Yes. There are those people who who get that serotonin rush from being able to buy. And I can imagine that they're being, you know, denied that that right to go and buy stuff because, well, they're in lockdown, and now suddenly they're out. It's like, you know, sort of eating hot and again because they haven't got anything else which gives them instant gratification. Yeah, uh, I, I totally agree that uh, about the consumerism. You know, there are a couple of really good songs from some German groups about consumerism too. You know, like ninety nine percent of things that we we buy, how much do we really need? And I'm, you know, I'm personally moving more and more away from having stuff. I've I've for a long yeah. time said, you know, it's just too much stuff um, to the point where I'm happy to give it all up and just travel light. Can I travel with two suitcases? You know, if yes. Hey, cool. Okay, with a seven-year-old son, not always going to happen. But yes, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> but just let's just wind back for a second to um, you know because you were mentioning about the statistics about the deaths in custody and arrest. But now maybe maybe Australia is the you know because maybe Australia is the lucky country. I don't know. We used to be called that, um, but we had our own bunch of people jump on the Black Lives Matter bandwagon. Uh, declaring all the Aboriginal deaths in custody. And um, they were saying that since 1990, it was, there were 400 deaths of Aboriginals in custody. And I looked up the stats. I, I wasn't able to find the 1990 all the way through to 2020, which would have been 30 years, but I found the first 15. And in the first 15 years, uh, with the peak somewhere around 95, uh, and it tethered off again, in the first 15 years, there were 140-something Indigenous deaths in custody and over 600 non-Indigenous deaths in custody. Right. Like, yeah. So, like I said, maybe I don't know. I don't know the stats from from the US. I've heard it said that it's a similar story. I don't know what it's like in the UK, but um, you know. Well, this is the problem because people choose and pick statistics, um, and then they. Um, produce stuff um but if you look at it it's it's a counter movement now the pendulum is swinging the other way history is written by the victors right? absolutely so yeah they've written history because they ran the empire and so roads and uh, uh um the guy uh, uh um well, I've forgotten now, Carlson, whatever. Uh, uh, the, the guy that in Bristol, which went into the harbor, the, the, uh, who then financed a lot. Um, but he was very popular because he spent a lot of money and um, it didn't matter. The slave trade didn't matter to public conscience all that much. Yes, Britain was one of the first countries 
to ban uh, uh, slave trading, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't immoral enough not to hugely compensate uh, the slave traders to an extent that the public debt was only written off about five years ago and fully okay. paid. Let me let me because this is, this is this is something I I have you know in my head all the time and yeah. I'd love to put your opinion on it because uh, well just because of the way you think and 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 your background um, should the should the children if the, should the children be responsible for the wrongdoings of the father. And I realize you know where I probably know where I'm going with this because there are a whole bunch of ways I could go. Yeah. Australia, Australia gave its apology officially under the Kevin Rudd Labor left-wing government, gave yeah. its, its apology officially to the Aboriginals, right? Yeah. Um, the Germans, right, have been paying Israel reparations since the end of the war. And back in the, I think it was the 90s or something, well, uh, you need to see that slightly more nuanced. Uh, first of all, it last it took it took a long time before Germany uh, started paying anything. Uh, they paid Israel, yes, but uh, above all, they paid to individuals uh, uh, in Germany and uh, all over the world and to institutions. Um, but it's a good point because it's the most recent uh, uh, case. Um, where something was perpetrated. You can talk about empires and all that, but that harks quite a long time back. And then you had within a few decades of the end of that uh, thousand-year empire in 1945, uh, reparations were being paid. So, yes, uh, reparations, I think, would be due. But, of course... Neither the slave traders, if you want to go back there, nor the slaves themselves are now alive. So who should they pay their operations to? And I think it would be fair if uh, the descendants of um, the slaves would then be reimbursed in a way by the state uh, such that schooling, like you had uh, 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 positive discrimination in a way, and helping them get out of the trap, which then racism, which arose out of colonialism, has, has put them in. That would be, uh, I think, an appropriate way of dealing with it. So I'm, I'm, I, I'm all for people being, um, well, for... What's the word? It's, 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 I guess it's a form of socialism or communism, whatever, that, you know, everybody should be lifted up to a certain, to a certain, and not just a certain minimal level, but a certain standard of living. As a, and I don't yeah. like to use the word minimum, right? But just as a certain standard of, 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 of human, human existence. Um, and, and, you know, as soon as, but as soon as the state pays for something, it's not the state paying, it's all the taxpayers paying. <laughs> Is paying it, yes, but the state is the central authority which brings the money together and can hand it out while you can't have an individual 
yeah, you have charities and you have individuals who are very rich who can then, I want to pay for this charity, I want to pay for this charity, and they don't necessarily spread the wealth around uh, as is uh, socially perhaps necessary or required, rather they spread around as they see fit, which is the freedom they have. Yeah, based yeah. on their agenda, whatever their yeah. agenda, whatever going to serve yeah. their agenda, that's where they put their money, as opposed to you know whatever yeah. agenda. But then again, the, pol the politicians of the governments do that as well, right? But you know, if <clears throat> when when is when you know when do we draw the line though? If we're saying okay, well, reparations have to be paid by whomever, whether it's uh, the Germans, and of course there was that there was that uh, that Jewish. Well, they're, forum. they're still paying. They're still they're still paying, and uh, mm -hmm. it goes on until whatever i haven't followed it it, it, it very closely uh um and um i know that my parents got reparations which was kind of uh, almost an insult uh so not everything was totally rosy uh, mm. uh, uh, uh with that one but there was a huge effort and the proof of that pudding was the pr uh, the surprise by basically the world population when Germany hosted the World Cup. And it was a very open and friendly and welcoming society. And uh, the way Germany is be, has been dealing with the uh, coronavirus and uh, in terms of the domestic democratic institutions, it, it's now being touted as a an example for many Western countries. Yeah. Uh, if you wind back 50 years ago, nobody would have dreamt that that could happen. No, uh, but uh, you see, what you said about the minimum income, the minimum income really is uh, a shifting target. Mm. Because um, who would have thought 30, 40 years ago that having a smartphone would be part of the necessities of life? And I still don't know that it is, but yeah, I get what you're saying, yeah. No, a, a mobile phone is a necessity of life because if you look around, for instance, in Africa, a lot of banking, micro-banking, not in terms of small, uh, uh, um, but banks allowing people to transfer money from one person to the other funds by phone, simple phone, because they've got the systems in place. Well, here in, 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 in Europe, it's still a complicated thing uh, to transfer money. It's getting easier and easier. Um, I have some accounts where I want to transfer money from one bank uh, to another. And if it's a weekend in between, between, it takes three days for the money to go through because the electrons have to have their break over yes. Saturday, Sunday. It's an absolute absurdity. Uh, other banks, I press the button. By the time I check into the other account, it's already there and been put to bed and everything, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Certain electrons are probably uh, um, excessively unionized and, 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 <laughs> and all this sort of stuff. So and I know that you know why that happens. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry? I said, I know that you know why that happens, though. I know a lot of people don't understand what happens with the money of while course. the electrons are sleeping. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I used to, at one stage, um, I used to um, do some lecturing. Uh, I sort of also uh, done a lot of, of market research work on uh, telecoms IT. So I did uh, a course of lectures on telecoms and economic development. I couldn't, I couldn't do that anymore because technology has changed to such an extent 
that all these old models of making it worthwhile are totally defunct. Uh, because the cost of an infrastructure nowadays is the cost of uh, uh, renting a transponder on a satellite and you have a mobile network established. You don't have to put cables into the ground and stations and everything like that. It's a totally different ball game, And the speeds are so much faster. Uh, you don't send a telegram, which then has to be confirmed. And then you've all this sort of stuff. So, yeah. But a smartphone nowadays is really considered a necessity. 30 years ago, the argument was a television is considered a necessity in most countries uh, because it's been part of the cultural wallpaper. Like electricity became a necessity at the beginning of the 20th century. Uh, nobody wanted to run around with gas lights in the house and, 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 and coal fires and, and stuff like that. But who, de who, declare, who declares it a necessity? I mean, is it, is, is it just a societal agreement? Or is it, because I, mean, I realize if you go to... You know, oh, that's the point. Uh, because we're coming back to the social contract. In a way, yes, it is, it is uh, the development of technology, of uh, the economy, the use of it. If you took away smartphones nowadays, a lot of um, economic infrastructure would just collapse. Mm. Take away computers. Now, 50, 60 years ago, everything could work wonders. In the 1980s, when I did market research, I went and uh, as one of the uh, first sort of uh, investigations into AI and expert systems. So I went to a nuclear power station to talk to them about expert systems, whatever. And these, this power station had been running for 20, 30, for 30 years, had been set up without major computer input had been set up without expert systems. And, and that's exactly what he said. The, uh, the guy said, yeah, well, we've been running this thing without expert systems. We don't need it to run our nuclear power station. Of course, nowadays, if you build a nuclear power station, you wouldn't do it without full automation uh, and, and everything computerized. Right? Yeah. So, uh, but, so basically, the baseline changes. And that's, that's what I meant by a shifting target. Yeah. Uh, um, and the necessity yeah. is required. Mm. I mean, the, the I, I wasn't actually even thinking about minimum wage. I'm glad you brought that up. I was just thinking a minimum standard of living. Imagine but, if, you know, because this whole currency thing, you know, if we get rid of the, if forgetting about money and currency and all the rest of it for a moment, just as homo sapiens on the planet, what is it we need? You know, forget about it, whether you take any particular uh, framework or whatever. What do we as Homo sapiens need to to live, to thrive, to feel fulfilled, feel happy, etc.? And then, okay, then reintroduce money into the mix. But what is it we need? And you know, I think I think the majority of people uh, would probably vote for a system where they say, you know what, if I have, if I'm somewhere in that bandwidth and I have the possibility to oscillate based on whatever it is I do. And by the way, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not voting for the Chinese social currency system here. But yeah, yeah. Just, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, um, I think a lot of people say if 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 I if I could be guaranteed to live a, a life, you know, within that bandwidth, um, 
and it was all provided for, I'd be happy to give up more of my income after we reintroduce money, like like in the Scandinavian countries where their taxes are, you know, for our, our standards, their taxes are horrific. But at the end of the day, they get a lot back. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah, you have both people, both parents working, but kindergarten, after-school care, schools, everything provided to a degree and to a level uh, where, where it makes it worth it. Yeah. Um, you know. what just meant sort of the bandwidth uh, um, brings back uh, something which I first came across when I started on my uh, PhD uh, in the Austrian economics, which has completely forgotten by uh, um, economists or traditional economists nowadays. And then it was much later brought up again uh, by Maslow, his hierarchy of needs. Yep. Uh, where you first cover a very basic level you need food you need shelter you need clothing you need medical provision your very physical survival needs to be covered and then depending on the stage of development of society you can't function if you can't read and write and very soon um, we won't be able to function if we can't use computers more intelligently as human beings uh, intelligently, not computer intelligence. Right. Take a simple example. Uh, all these youngsters are supposed to be uh, native um, computer savvy. They're sort of yep. born to it. And they flit around all these social networks, uh, social media, uh, social networks online, and whatever they are called, and they're very fast and very good. And you get them to run a social media campaign for a business. They haven't got a clue how to do that because they don't know how to use it, but they don't really know how to apply this tool deliberately to achieve a certain goal and yep. that is something which people need to learn so there is now and it is uh, uh, of course incumbent on governments uh, to provide the necessary training and reschooling and retraining of people and i think that will hit home very hard in the ne next 18 months because when businesses come back and they realize first of all they don't need that many people they don't need that many premises because a lot of stuff can be done from home or offline or online mm -hmm. uh, so they can cut the cost uh, they may need the people but differently and they may need need to be different skills and who is going to pay for the retraining now, of course, we all have to pay for it. But if you leave it to the private sector, then you will have a small elite coming up and the usual stuff will happen. Or you have governments providing a broader. In Germany, you had that in the 1960s when they started closing down the coal mines. And there was a huge... Uh, well, unemployment would have skyrocketed unless they had retraining. The whole Ruhr region... Uh, was sort of restructuring with retraining uh, retraining programs. And uh, I'm sure we can look at lots of other 
professions uh, okay. which have become obsolete uh, and now people have to be retrained so so there are two things two two sides to that for me one is yes when it comes to mass society retraining because we no longer need that as a society we need that most definitely um, government and other more um, conscious capitalist companies can provide that when it comes to people within a company like when any company I've been involved with, we hire based on values. Skills are secondary because we train people with the skills that we need. Because if they and if they don't if they don't resonate with the way we are, it's just it's not going to last. And any investment in in them, you know, doesn't matter what that investment is, is going to be a disinvestment in, in the short term. Yeah, and we're going to go back. So companies who have people who say, "Oh, these people are really cool. We have a business which can be profitable. We just need to reskill." then they could do that. Now, if government's handing out money to go and retrain people, you know, five will get you 10 that they're going to put their hand out for the government money as well. But you know, broader society stuff, Garrett, yes, I agree. Governments and other companies should need to step in and help do that. Well, you see, uh, if people retrain within a company, that's one aspect. But the other aspect is if there, is, if there are technological shifts happening. And whole industries are closing down. Um, and companies are basically going bust. Mm -hmm. which, no is company, which is, yeah, exactly. And there's no company there to finance the retraining of because the company's gone bust. So who's going to pick it up? The state in terms of unemployment benefits or the state in terms of Yes, unemployment benefits plus retraining. Because if you don't retrain, these people will stay on the dole for much, much longer. So the cost to the state, which is to the taxpayer, is going to be so much higher than the investment into retraining because retraining will lead to higher employment, which will also lead to higher tax revenues. Yes, that's true. And the trouble, the trouble with a lot of the bailout stuff is this, right? Like we've we've had we've had this bailout, semi bailout in Australia with the so called job keeper, which mm -hmm. is a bit of a bit of a balls up, quite frankly. But anyway, those job keeper payments, the ones who were getting them, they stopped pretty soon. I think it's a couple of months now, right? So there's this sleeping zombie in the Australian economy because when those payments stop, because those pay those payments are being filtered through the employer. To the employee, right? Um, not they're not a handout from the government to the employee. They go through the employer. Yeah. So when those payments stop, and employers haven't been able to ramp up their business, those companies are yeah. going to go bust. Problem there, obviously, they fall back onto the state. The state, um, and and then what? You know, there's you know, I'm I'm torn between let's get the economy open and just get people back at work and get people and get people's confidence up to go out and spend money again versus the quantitative easing we, we think we I know that we're going to be doing that with with um, Simon some stage you and I really should jump on a call and another another episode of, of this and talk about quantitative easing because I know you know a shitload about that um, if if that comes in in a big way like it's happening in America with trillions of dollars, Daily, yeah. floating, 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 waiting to be the the well the, 
um, there's so many things here. Well, I know. I mean, they've just they've just announced another hundred billion of 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 uh, um, pumping money into the economy here in the UK. Um, that's all very nice, but even uh, well, specifically after two thousand eight, two thousand nine, two thousand nine, they pumped money into the economy. But what happened? The government said this money is earmarked for medium and small businesses to be able to borrow uh, cheaply uh, so that the economy can get going again because there had been a collapse in the economy. Right now, there hasn't been a collapse in the economy. Well, okay, let's, before we come to that. But what happened is the banks who were supposed to be the funnel through which the money was going to go to the small companies use that to sanitize their balance sheets. Mm -hmm. And they did pass the money on. But once they had the money, what could the government do? Give me the money back. You, uh, They didn't want to set up their own bank to finance uh, the businesses. They wanted the banks to do it. And the banks, of course, have all sorts of good excuses why they've done the best they possibly could and they have fallen over backwards. Um, and they're still not getting up because of that. And, and it's all, all, all a load of nonsense. The 100 billion, which have just been announced yesterday or, or so, um, again, funneled in the same way, rather than pushed into people's pockets, because once it gets there, what do people do? They buy. And then that money will start creating turnover for businesses, and it keeps it cranking over. That's the short-term aspect. But if you look at the long-term aspect, we've been living here with austerity for 10, 11 years. Well, since, since 2010, for 10 years with austerity. And so much has been done to sanitize and to help and to, to co correct the budget deficit. And everybody in the Tory party is so happy about it that they now had created their foundation to be able to intervene in this particular crisis. But if you look at it in the aggregate, they've spent a lot of money now and they have reduced the spending over the 10 years, but by reducing the spending, they've reduced the resilience of the institutions to be able to cope with shocks. I've, I found it very interesting that they interviewed um, uh, a German minister here on the radio uh, and they asked him what happened, why did Germany have such a low death rate and, and, and why? And uh, why are hospitals not overwhelmed in Germany by the COVID crisis? And this was uh, a, a minister from the German conservative government. I've got no idea what he said, but go and tell me. Uh, so, and, and, uh, who said, finally, colleagues, meaning his ministerial colleagues in the CDU party and other critics from the right and from the conservative. Uh, a branch will realize that having uh, created contingency in the health system has paid off, right? Yeah. That's mm -hmm. an argument from the conservative right, who argues, in uh, the guy argued in favor of creating contingencies. You can't create contingencies if you are to only um, looking uh, after uh, efficiency. 
The, the National Health Service in the UK is very efficient. It's totally underfunded. It runs at the limit of capacity. Every year when the flu season started, it got worse and worse and worse. And now everybody is so scared, and rightly so, uh, of the next winter, because that's definitely going to come. And in the autumn, the flu season is going to start, and there's probably going to be another COVID wave. And what then? Then the death rate will shoot through the roof, because you won't only have death rate from flu and COVID, but you will also have the excess deaths all the people who can't be treated because the hospitals are full and have ongoing conditions. And that is because no capacity has been created because we are all so terribly efficient. Uh, and, 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 and now they're spending all that money. If they had spent the same amount of money they've spent now over the last 10 years, they would have created employment, they would have cre created higher tax revenues, which would have helped to pay off the deficit they wanted to pay off, plus they would have created um, uh, uh, um, resilience rather than just efficiency. And that so, harks to another uh, little argument, and then I, I, I shall... Uh, leveled at uh, at Margaret Thatcher's, who's who's who. Um, uh, You're not going to play a game with Maggie, are you? Uh, sorry. You're not going to play a game at Maggie, are you? <laughs> well, no, I'm just no. That's just a quote, which she was uh, accused of. Her father was a storekeeper, uh, a shopkeeper, and uh, so she was accused of running the economy like a shop. Uh, and you can't run an con economy like a shopkeeper runs his shop. And that's absolutely right. If you're just looking for minimizing expenses and cutting down and cutting down, what's, what's, what's the purpose of government? What's the purpose of, 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 of all this thing? It's different to a shop. When, when was the last time the UK had a Labour government, left-wing government? Uh, 2010. About 10 years ago. Right. Yeah. Uh, it so was... 27 to 2010, first Tony Blair for 10 years and then Gordon Brown for three years. And uh, the crisis hit when Gordon Brown was prime minister. And the beauty was that he was quite instrumental in getting a global response to the crisis together. Uh, and I, don't, I don't remember Gordon Brown in it, but then again, I, I sort of shut off from the whole thing back then, but yeah. Yeah, but, but the whole tragedy is that nobody was in a position to be able to mobilize a global response to the uh, COVID crisis, which was absolutely necessary because through globalization, it really spread fast. Yep, it did. And the problem, and, and that sort of comes back to one of the things I was going to say before is like, Look across the globe. You've got left wing, you've got right wing, and I'm, I, I try to avoid all the isms and, 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 and whatevers, but um, there's no one government that's really doing it phenomenally well. And Well, it, New Zealand is quite impressive. I am impressed with them, the fact they opened the bloody borders. Oh, sorry, opened everything except the borders. That's very, very cool. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think they managed to control it. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, we're, we're getting conflicting evidence, sorry, conflicting information over here. Now, apparently, you can um, you can have uh, a wedding 
with as many yeah. people as you like starting 1st of July. And in, Australia. Many, in Australia. Right. But you're, not, but you're not allowed to go on the dance floor. Right? Okay, uh, so you need a football field because you need to have social distancing or what? <laughs> yeah, and, and, of course, then sports are allowed. A 40,000-person stadium can have 10,000 people in it. Funerals, you can have as many people as you like at the funeral, and I keep making the joke, but you're only allowed one coffin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, brothels and strip clubs are allowed to open again. But no physical contact. <laughs> uh, no, you have to have a pretty long dick for it, quite frankly, but uh, but no uh, no nightclubs. And, and, you know, I was having this conversation earlier this morning, so I, and they said, oh, they don't get it. I said, well, actually, if you think about the, the strip club and the, and the prostitution, the brothels, that sort of thing, I sort of get that. My grandfather, uh, paternal grandfather, was a senior cop in Queensland. And he used to tell me when I was a little boy, he said, you know what, uh, in the areas where he would be, you know, responsible, uh, whether it was country or city or suburb or whatever, wherever his precinct was, they always maintained a good relationship with the adult services industry that was around back then. Because in those areas where the, the brothels were open and, and regulated, self-regulated and had a good relationship with the cops and where the prostitution was, you know, same sort of deal, the incidence of sex crimes and family violence were way down compared to the other areas. And that is a sad, sad statement on society, I know. But my yeah. guess is, my guess is that's probably one of the motivations behind allowing brothels to reopen and strip clubs. Could be. Could be. It could be that our politicians just want to go in the strip club. I don't know. Yeah. Well, you have the Tory party here in the UK arguing, oh, opening up, opening up, opening up. Many, many people want to open up because they want to get the economy going. Um, which is, of course, hugely important. We, without earning money and having money to spend, we can't really live. But mm -hmm. if it is the society at the service of the economy or is the economy at the service of the society, and if there is a danger that you can have a really huge second wave because things aren't in place to track and trace and everything uh, uh, properly, should you pay more, uh, print more money, as it were, create more money, and then, by, by the government, and then treat it like they treated the World War, where we're still paying off government debt now, and mm. just pay it off a very long time. Boris Johnson is so happy uh, with his, 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 his uh, allusions to Churchill and the war against, and whatever, uh, on the beaches, uh, whatever. And, 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 and they don't want to treat it in the same way. I, I think a lot of politicians, quite frankly, a lot of politicians around the world are using this damn thing as a good excuse to, you know, be their own Churchill, right, but in a different yeah. context. It's like, look at how great, uh, whether it's ScoMo over here or, you know, and, and again, I realise, you know, I don't think I don't think Australian Labour Party would have done any better, quite frankly. Uh, I don't agree with ninety percent of what Scomo has done. I think he's it's been a bollocks, a real bollocks up. But um, I don't think the Labour Party would have done any better when I look at the, sh the stuff they're doing. Yeah. Um, and, and and in Australia we have the states versus the federal thing. The fed the federal federal government sort of gives the guidelines, and then the states are there to uh, go and implement, and uh, they make their own laws basically. So 
it's it's just they they play each other off against the public, which is really bad. Mm. But, uh, I think every bloody politician in in some leadership role is just out there to make their own Churchill or Eisenhower statement. And the rest of the public servants, from what I've at least seen, the rest of the public servants are pretty much acting like the Nazis in Nuremberg. And they're just saying, that's what I'm, I'm just doing as I'm told. Just doing as I'm yeah, told. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, well, this is a slightly a different um, here in, uh, in the UK because we had the elections in December. Um, so you had all the people who first ran against Boris in the leadership election last summer mm -hmm. uh, for the Tory party, who then swung behind him all of a sudden, and everybody discovered the same discourse. Uh, then you had the, uh, the, the, the general election, and uh, everybody is so happily speaking the same language. And what they are doing is basically just spin, total spin. Uh, everybody said the spin doctors, Mandelson and whatever, under the previous Labour government gave all that a bad name. I mean, they were choir boys compared to what's happening uh, it, it, here. It's, it's, it is unbelievable. I, I Personally, I just can't bear it when some of them come on the radio. I have to switch off because they never answer questions and they always push numbers, 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 numbers. Why do they give all these detailed numbers on the daily COVID-19 uh, uh, briefings? Because one of the fundamental rules in internet marketing, for instance, is, or in marketing in general, you give specific numbers. Do you want to earn more tomorrow uh, than today? Well, yes, of course, everybody and nobody cares about that statement. Um, today, in my sleep, I earned $9,475.47 more than yesterday. Now, the detailed numbers don't, but it is persuasive. Mm -hmm. for reason. So they give you numbers, which are totally false because we all know that they are kind of estimates and, and, and made to look nice and vaguely relevant uh, and, and vaguely related to the truth, but they do it day in, day out, and then they, they justify them. And as soon as they get a critical question, they just tell how much in total they, they, uh, they spent on, on these services. They're having now earmarked a billion pounds for uh, for the schools to, to be able to reopen and to catch up on what was lost. And when they uh, are asked uh, uh, what happened to the computers, because in uh, April they promised 200,000 laptops, and to date they have only delivered 100,000, so you've still got 100,000 families who can't afford it, who were supposed to be given it and have lost out three months and are going to lose out more. We're spending billion pounds. And what, what happened to the 100,000? We are spending a billion pounds. Mm. And fantastic, we delivered. It's spin, it's marketing, um, and people are buying it. Oh, and they, and they always do. Two, two things there. We're running, we're running short on time. but uh, and, and you know what? I'm going to watch this, this, this episode back because I know from this episode there are probably about... 10 or 20 things that we can go and discuss in depth. Okay. 
again because every time there's just like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a note of that. Can we think we never get back to it? But um, it, one thing I've noticed: doesn't matter where you are in the world, uh, it doesn't matter which party is in power. Um, it's the part, it's the ruling party that's doing that, and it's the other party which is pointing it out. And as soon yeah. as the other party's in power, they're doing the exact same thing. You know, yeah. we, we have this. Uh, I'm not sure about the UK system. I think it's the same that you have the two preference, the the two party preferred system that all the votes flow upstream. Basically, uh, do you have that over there as a first party post? System, first party yeah. post. Yeah, oh, first right. post here. Uh, no proportional representation, so therefore you can get a huge majority with 30%, 35% of popular vote, which basically okay. the majority voted not for them, basically against them, but because of the boundaries, like the gerrymandering uh, uh, in, in the United States, uh, boundary re reorganization, which is also a, a sport here, um, uh, to, <laughs> to make sure Boris has got now an 80-seat majority, he can basically do whatever he likes. And uh, he's doing it, I mean, it, and big time. We had another report today and, and uh, showing to what extent parliamentary powers have been reduced and uh, the Henry VIII powers, sort of these powers which allow ministers to change laws to introduce things without going through parliamentary approval. Uh, it's frightening. It's yeah. the road of, of democracy, basically, what's happening here. Yeah, and again, uh, you know, in Australia we have this we have this two party preferred system, uh, and I realise that only thirty if a thirty five percent thirty five percent of the vote becomes the majority, that you're effectively statistically looking at the other side, the majority didn't vote for you. Um, nonetheless, when the votes flow up, then the people you voted for are not the people who are getting in. So, um, yeah, I, mean, I don't think we're ever going to see the end of our two-party preferred system until such time as we have in, uh, a majority of independence in the parliament yeah. <laughs> with, an old, with an outright majority over the other parties. Um, but anyway, so we're, we're running a short on time, but I had one question I wanted to ask, which sort of <laughs> comes all the way back to where we started in the beginning, and that is... When do we ask the Italians for reparations because of the Roman Empire, or well, is that, or is that sort of this, this? This this is a this is a huge uh, this is a huge story. And then what about Genghis Khan? Yeah, totally. <laughs> right? Sort of stuff. I mean, um, uh, okay. So let's go back to the Bible. When God promised to the uh, to 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 the Israelites that Canaan would be their country, now what about the Philistines? Yeah, of course, <laughs> I mean, come on. I'm going to open a can of worms here, but it's okay. I'm going to get some people on here to discuss this as well. Yeah. That last that last one requires one to take the Bible as historical fact as opposed to an allegorical book of um, story. Yes, the only thing is we know that certain groups and shifts have happened mm. in certain movements and power taking over and stuff like that. So Genghis Khan certainly has happened, uh, and the Roman Empire did, uh, and uh, other empires happened um, afterwards. The Ottoman Empire. Yeah, they, they got a lot to answer for too, the Turks, right? Let's get let's get come down on them. Yeah, let the, let them pay reparations. Uh, they haven't even started answering about the Armenians yet. <laughs> yeah, 
We we Aussies should get on their back about the Anzacs. I mean, I know I know that uh, they had that famous the quote by uh, by good old Ataturk, and you know we're all in his bosom or whatever it is. Can't remember, but um, I don't know. A couple of bucks in the bank account might go better. We need to deal. Uh, I used to look, I mean, I wrote this history of economic thought book because I, I, I always had these questions uh, trying to explain why we say something and where it comes from. Uh, the motivation was, uh, oh yeah, there it is. I'm going to track it up. Anyone who's interested, you can see it's on on Amazon. It's coming back. <laughs> yeah, the, the motivation behind it really was for me the question coming out my very first semester at university: what role does ideology play in theory? So that's a totally different, uh, 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 different thing. But once I finished with it, I got thoroughly fed up with always looking back and. What I'm much more interested in is we are here now. We absolutely need to understand where it comes from, but how can we go forward? And, and that really was what I tried to address in five minutes when we had the thingy for the prospects for the future or thought thinking of, about the future little one-hour symposium uh, a few weeks ago. Oh, with random dollars, yeah, and we'll be doing that one again. And I, hey, mate, I'd love, I'd love it if you come back and be again on the mic here with us again here, because uh, there is like, so I'm going to watch this episode back. There's so much I know yeah. that we can yeah. go off and. I'll be happy to, yeah, yeah. Whenever, let me know, and we'll, we'll find a date. Fantastic, thanks so much, mate. So, listen, everyone, um, if you want to want to plug into Max and figure and find out more about him and and uh, and you know, have a conversation, uh, you'll find him on LinkedIn. You'll find him on Facebook. Are you on IG? I don't think so, are you? Uh, I have, uh, but it's it's yeah. hardly worth it. No, yeah. Facebook, Facebook, LinkedIn, I have a website. Uh, that's that's easy to find. Yeah, so and your, link, and your, your website, everything's linked from your Facebook and your LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah it's all link, linked. Yeah. Max, you can listen, where have you seen the video? Whether it's on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, IGTV, you're going to find links and everything there for Max as well. Reach out, have a conversation. So you probably noticed from this, this one hour. Great bloke. And we'll be back uh, to continue our conversations in all the directions it can go because I swear to God, this is just going to go off in many, many different directions. I really enjoyed that, Paul. Thank you very much for inviting me. My pleasure, mate. And thank you very much for coming on board. And uh, everyone, thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, and uh, tune in next time. Um, surprise who's coming up next, but you'll be. Uh, You'll get a love it, I'm sure. Have a good one, everyone. Take care. Stay safe.